Please take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of 1 Corinthians. Paul's letter, first letter to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and we're going to be looking at three verses there. We have just sung a song which many of you from the Reformed tradition will know is based on the Heidelberg Catechism, and it is a song that brings forth this certainty that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. As we begin this new year, um, all of us are involved in expressions of goodwill, right? How many of you said Happy New Year to someone today? How many of you had someone say Happy New Year to you today? I think there's one individual and he's crying at the moment somewhere here, but, <laughs> but uh, all of us did. We, 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 it's just part of our human nature, isn't it? That we, we want to express goodwill to others, particularly at significant moments in time. And I'm sure that all of us today have aspirations in our hearts for what might come this year. There are things we desire, things that we, we hope for, but we, we have to confess that while those desires are there, much of what we desire is marked with uncertainty. Wouldn't it be wonderful this year if the war in the Ukraine came to an end? And, and not just a war where injustice is done in the end, but where the Ukraine gets back all of its land. Wouldn't it be great this year if gas prices... <laughs> yeah, we... Anyway, I won't... No other comment. If they would just stay at stable at a certain point, wouldn't, wouldn't it be great? It'd be wonderful to see inflation come down. I desire that I might be able to take my wife out to dinner soon and not feel like I've blown the monthly budget in one meal. And wouldn't it be wonderful if my adult kids could actually afford to buy a home? I'm sure there are all kinds of other things that we desire and aspire toward or hope for. I have desires about our church. I'm sure you do too. I'm sure many of you have desires and hopes for your family and for family members. As I came in this morning, a dear sister greeted me and informed me that her 18-year-old niece has just undergone an operation and that her, her well-being is hanging in the balance. And so I'm sure there's desire and hope there that God would turn things around. But with all of the uncertainty that exists, it, it breeds anxiety among us. And so today I just, I want to ask this question and then answer it from 1 Corinthians 6, and that is, what are we certain of? And I'm, I'm speaking to those of you who are believers in the Lord Jesus. If you have not yet come to the point where you have put your faith and trust in Christ, this, this will not be something that you are certain of. But if you are a believer, you will have a certainty of it. And I hope you will become a believer so that you can have this certainty too. But there are two things in these verses that I want you to notice. Let me read 1 Corinthians chapter 6, starting at verse 9. What can we be certain of? Verse 9. Do you not know that the wicked, that is the unrighteous, will not inherit the kingdom of God? 
do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. I want to talk at a personal level today, and I want to couch what I'm saying is, what, what am I certain of? And, and I hope that you can make the application to yourself. You see, there, there are two things in this passage that I am certain of. First of all, I am certain of what I do deserve. And I'm also certain that I have received what I don't deserve. Now, it's right here in this passage. I am certain of what I do deserve. Notice, notice the words that Paul uses in verse, in verse 9. Do you not know? In other words, you can have certainty. Do, do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Friends, this is the one thing that the most people in the world are deceived on. And that is that everyone thinks they're going to make it. Everybody thinks they're going to get there. Everybody thinks that they'll be accepted by God in the end because they have deceived themselves with the notion that God is only a God of love. As if he has no other attribute at all. And Paul makes it clear that people deceive themselves. That's why he says to us, don't be deceived. And then he gives a whole list of individuals who, who, who aren't going to make it. They're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. Now, he's talking here about the judgment of God. And friends, this list that he gives here is really just a sample list. It's not exact exhaustive at all. But, but just go through the list and read it again. The sexually immoral idolaters. Listen, we are all sexually broken. There is no individual in this room who has 100% lived up to the standard of God's glory when it comes to our sexuality. We are all sexual offenders. We have all fallen short of the glory of God. Idolaters, he mentions as well. Do you, have you ever at any time in your life loved something or someone more than you love God? Do you have a desire for more and more and more? Then you are guilty of this sin. I am guilty of this sin. In verse 10, he mentions thieves. Have you ever stolen anything before? or the greedy, drunkards, slanders. Have you ever slandered someone before? That is, you've said 
one thing or two things or three things that, that really give a misrepresentation of who that person really is. You've slandered them. You've said something untruthful about, about them, or you've even said something that is truthful about them, but you've done it in a way to bring them down. That's what slander is. Swindlers. <laughs> I, I just got on my cell phone this morning a couple of texts telling me to push letter Y in, in, in order that the Canada Revenue Agency will give me some money back. You ever get those texts? Listen, Mr. Trudeau's not going to give you anything back that you've already given. It's swindling. As I said, the list is not an exhaustive list here, but, but listen to these words in Revelation 21 about the eternal city, about the kingdom of God. John the Apostle writes these words, nothing, nothing impure will ever enter it. No impurity. Nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful. Have you ever done anything to deceive someone before? Have you ever done anything that you feel ashamed of? Nothing impure will ever enter into it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful. In other words, nothing corrupt or corrupting is going to get into the kingdom of heaven. The unrighteous are not going to enter there. And who are they? The person you're sitting next to is them. You are them. I am them. We are the unrighteous. We have all sinned and we have all fallen short of the glory of God. And because God is altogether righteous and holy, our unrighteousness will exclude us from the kingdom of heaven. If we just looked at verse 9 and verse 10 today, I would say, I don't deserve to get there. I will never inherit the kingdom of God because I have offended the living God. I will be excluded by the behavior that I have chosen in my life. And so I am absolutely certain, according to verses 9 and 10, that I deserve to be kept out of the kingdom of God forever. But I like verse 11 better. <laughs> I think you do too. And that is what some of you were. Do you hear the ring of past tense there? You see, I am not only certain of what I do deserve, an eternity without Jesus Christ, I am also certain that I have received what I do not deserve. And this is what some of you were. And he lists three things, three things that, that I don't deserve. He says, you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Three things. First of all, washed. The idea of being cleansed. Some commentators on this passage point out that the, the language that is used here is baptism language. Not that baptism cleanses us, but that baptism signifies a cleansing. The going down into the water and the coming up out of water signifies that, that there is a washing away of sin and a rising again to a new life without sin. 
We are cleansed by the Lord Jesus, cleansed of our guilt, cleansed of our pollution, cleansed of our impurity, cleansed of the things that have defiled us and that stand against the living holy God. And our, our baptism points to that. It, it pictures this event that happened of this cleansing, this washing. I am certain that I have been washed. But then he says, you were sanctified, literally to be made holy. Now, usually when the Bible uses this word, it's referring to an ongoing process. We come to faith in Christ, we're cleansed, and then there's this sanctifying process that goes on. It's this, this ongoing process of growth into the image of the Lord Jesus, a growth into holiness of life. This should be true of everyone who names the name of the Lord. You know that you should be more like Jesus now than you were five years ago or 10 years ago because there's been this sanctifying growth in your life. But that's not how Paul uses the word here. He's talking here about a one-time complete action that happens. You were, past tense, sanctified. That is, God not only washed you and cleansed you, God set you apart. He, he has taken you out of that which defiled you and polluted you. And he has set you apart as holy for a holy purpose. I'm certain that I have been sanctified. It's not the only thing he says, though. You were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified. Now, that's an interesting word because we're not talking now about the forgiveness of sins or being cleansed of our sins or that which defiles us. We're talking now about receiving a status, receiving a status that we do not deserve. You see, when we are cleansed, it's as though we're brought back to a neutral point. But when you are justified, it's, it moves beyond a neutral point into a positive point. That is, you are credited, you are given something that is not your own, that you don't deserve, and what you're given is righteousness. Dr. Billy Graham, the great evangelist, used to say, justified means just as if I'd never sinned. And he got the point right. It's being given a status that is not our own. We are counted by God through Christ to be completely righteous. Now look at verse 9 and 10 again. Like these are the people who shouldn't get this. These are the people who the world would say don't deserve this. And they're right. But God in his grace has given this to us. We've been washed. I've been sanctified. I've been justified. Now these are three incredible blessings. But how do they happen? Well, the next line answers it for us. Because these three blessings happen to us. They're blessings that we receive because of the three persons of the, God, the Godhead. Notice what he says. By or in the name of the Lord Jesus, verse 11, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. 
And verse 9 refers to the kingdom of God. So in verse 11 alone, you have reference to Jesus, you have reference to the Spirit, you have reference to God, because when it says by the Spirit of our God, that is the Spirit who comes from our God, you have reference to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit right in verse 11. Again, this takes us back to our baptism because we're baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We receive a new relationship with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We're reconciled to Him through Jesus Christ. And what we see here in these verses is that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are all working together to bring these blessings to us. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, it says... This is a reference not only to him as in terms of his person, that he is the Lord, that he is the Messiah, but it's a reference to what Jesus has done for us in his death upon the cross. That he came in obedience to the Father and willingly took our sin upon himself. All of our unrighteousness, the very things that will keep us out of the kingdom of God, were laid upon Jesus Christ and he received in his body, that punishment for our sins, not for his, because he had none. And then it says, by the Spirit of our God. And I've often been puzzled by that because I've thought, well, how does the Spirit justify me? How does the Spirit wash me? How does the Spirit sanctify me? Because the washing is definitely the work of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. So, so how does this happen? But Friends, if we understand how the three persons were working together in harmony with each other to bring our salvation into being, we under, it, make, it finally makes sense because it is the Holy Spirit who applies to our hearts what Jesus Christ has accomplished on the cross. And so the Father sends the Son. And the Son comes in obedience to the Father and willingly lays down his life as an atoning sacrifice for our, for our sins. And that salvation which he accomplished on the cross is applied to our hearts by the Holy Spirit. And all of this happens at the moment when we turn from darkness to light. The Bible calls it conversion. Don't be afraid of that word. It is a good word. We're completely converted. That is, our hearts are turned by the Spirit. Our hearts are drawn by the Spirit to the point where we recognize that we need God, that we need Christ, that we need the forgiveness of sins, that we need to be washed and sanctified and justified. And in an act of faith, the Spirit of God helping us, we put our faith in the Lord Jesus. And all of this happens to us. So I know today what I do deserve. And I am also certain that I have received what I do not deserve. That I have received this cleansing and this justifying and this sanctifying work of God himself. So with all of the uncertainties then of a new year which are whirling around us and which await us, and with all of the uncertainties that in many ways threaten to fan into flames, the anxieties that can sometimes crush us, I am certain today that I have not gotten what I deserve, that I have received what I do not deserve, so that no matter what happens this year, 
I can, with all of the undeserving, inherit, I will inherit, the kingdom of God. Hallelujah. I'd like to share just four other things with you. The first two I'm going to share with you now before we go to the table. And the final two I will share with you right at the end of worship. But I want to talk to you right now about what these truths mean in terms of us coming to the table. How do we come to the table? How do we come to this supper that Jesus has given us? And then later, how should we leave this table? In what way should we walk away from this table after we have remembered what the Lord has done for us? So first of all, just a simple truth. We need to come to the table of our Lord today with humility. Don't you agree? We don't deserve him. We don't deserve this. But he in his grace has given it to us. And so we come before the Lord to remember him in his death today. We come with humility before him as undeserving sinners. And secondly, we come to the table with thanksgiving. If there is anything that should mark us as believers in the Lord Jesus, it is thanksgiving. For all of these blessings have been given to us by the God who we love and adore and worship. Let's pray. Our God and Father, this morning, as your sons and daughters, we bow in your presence and we thank you that you have saved us through Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. We thank you so very much, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, for your great work of salvation on our behalf. We thank you that we undeserving sinners have received from you that which we do not deserve, that you have rescued us from the kingdom of the evil one and transferred us to the kingdom of your Son. We thank you so very, very much today that you loved us with an everlasting love. And Lord Jesus, we thank you that you went to the cross on our behalf for our sins. And we come before you this morning humbled by these great truths and thankful for all that you have done for us. Thank you for cleansing. Thank you for sanctifying. Thank you for justifying us. Thank you for these wonderful blessings. And Lord, accept our thanksgiving from our hearts. And Lord, hear us all now as we pray to you in a silent way and express individually and personally to you now our thanks to you. Lord, we also confess to you that we have failed you. 
even in this past week, even in the last 24 hours. We confess to you our sins and we thank you for your promise that you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to purify us from all unrighteousness. We thank you that the blood of Jesus, God's Son, purifies us from all sin. And Lord, we thank you again that even when we fall and even when we struggle with sin, this does not remove that justification that you have given to us. That we are now and will forever be yours because you bought us with a price. Lord, may these truths spur us on to love and good deeds. May this truth cause us not to be complacent about our struggle with sin, but rather to double down in our efforts to trust you more wholly and fully to deliver us from sin and from the evil one. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. It was wonderful to see so many of you use the thankometers, these tubes on either side of the tables here today, uh, putting in little answers to prayer, those yellow pieces of paper indicating answers to prayer. You'll be happy to know that uh, the ones from last year were all counted, and there were 655 yellow pieces of paper in the tubes. And I know for many, there were a number of answers to prayer on some of, some of them. So God has answered so many prayers in the past year, and we encourage you throughout this year to come forward during our time of, of singing and deposit your praise note in there as God has answered prayer for you. Another reminder that this week is Seek Week. We're asking you to take time uh, alone in your homes to really seek, seek the Lord, uh, to commit the work of the church into God's hands so that throughout 2023, we will see God's blessing on his work here. These prayer guides are available for you. They're at the tables at the back. And if you are able to, please join us Thursday and Friday. The times are here, and um, we would love to have you here for that time of prayer. And members of our ministry team will be leading those times of prayer, and that will happen in room 222, room 222. Also next Sunday morning, again, our final service at 10, uh, because it is the final service for Lee and Cheryl here at our church. Uh, this is going to be a well-attended service, so we're encouraging you to come here, get here early, encourage others to come who have known Lee and Cheryl over the years. We want to have a wonderful time of celebration and thanksgiving with them. I said to you that I would conclude worship by leaving two other takeaway points with, with you. I gave you two as to how you're supposed to come to the table. Now these are the two in terms of how we leave from the table. We must leave this table with renewed love and commitment in our hearts to our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen? And finally, let's leave this table in this time of worship today with growing confidence in our hearts that our witness for Jesus Christ really makes a difference. Think of the passage we looked at today. And this is what some of you were, Paul says. But you were washed, sanctified, justified. What does that tell us? Our God is in the business of saving people. Our God is in the business of changing people's lives. And so as you go forth this year, go forth in the power 
of the Holy Spirit. And may he enable all of us to make Jesus Christ the number one issue in our city in 2023. Amen.